Welcome to Bickering Peaks with your hosts, Aiden and Lindsay. Okay. So we're here to discuss... Why did uh, we start every episode like that? I don't know. So. So. We're here. We're here. We're We're not there. Well, no, we're not there. I mean, we could be there when we're listening to it. Mm -hmm. It would be us. We'd be like, we're there. there. But we're we're here. here now. In this moment. We'd be here, there, and everywhere. It's a little, it's a little uh, strange mindfuck thing yeah, going on here, yeah. but uh, yeah. Anyways, right now we are here, so in our office, yes, to discuss Twin Peaks season two, episode seventeen, wounds and scars. Yes, this was written by Barry Pullman and directed by James Foley. Any relation to Bill Pullman? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I didn't think to ask. Let's imagine there is. We're looking into it. Uh, yeah, his brother. <laughs> Sure. Just share cousin, nephew, yeah, nephew, and <laughs> a sister. <laughs> sure. Why not? Why not? Uh, it aired on March twenty eighth, nineteen ninety one, which you will recall the last episode aired back in February, mid February yes. of nineteen ninety one. So this is a six week hiatus, uh, that, hiatus it was that it was on. Um, that ABC kind of stripped it from the schedule yeah. and uh, and held back on the, the remaining. Uh, I think there's six episodes left. Yeah. And they they held back because things were going very poorly for the show. And they didn't they didn't really rebound after this week, no. let's say. So um, my, my, maybe they were questioning their decision to put it back on the air. But anyway. Well, the ratings did go up slightly, if I remember correctly. It was an extra $2 million over the, the previous episode. Really? Uh, but it was still not in stratospheric heights. It was, yeah. It was not double-digit million. Well, no. And it... And it, so. it wouldn't yeah i mean those were season one numbers and yes. and it we never left those behind, yes, yes exactly yeah uh march 28th was a thursday so this was a, a different day of the week that twin peaks was airing on um previous previously it was on uh saturday nights which uh is kind of a dead zone if i'm not mistaken it's kind of it still is kind of the last the last night you'd want your show to be on right mm-hmm. nobody's home on saturday nights and and uh and that's exactly what uh, what seemed to be facing uh, Twin Peaks while it was in this Saturday slot. Um, so the moving it to Thursday night, which I mean, as we know, is uh, we talk about must see TV being uh, Thursday nights. I think we we brought that up in a much earlier episode um, back in season one. That uh, this was kind of before the time of must see TV, but uh, that was all kind of started with. NBC's Thursday night lineup. So mm-hmm. Thursday night, for whatever reason, I'm sure there are reasons. I just don't know them. <laughs> Do you know them? Yeah. Well, Why Thursday night is the night that everybody yeah. stays in and watches TV? Yeah, they they're not. It's not the weekend. You can't go out and actually enjoy yourself, right. and you're too tired to do much else. Do much else. Almost I the guess. end of the week. It's, it's, it's yeah. That's it's, what, I mean. That's how. That's how. Yeah. That's how my family always approached it. I remember watching Friends on Thursday nights. It was also the same night that we had basketball practice. Mm-hmm. I used to be an avid basketballer, and. Um, Never wanted to go to basketball practice because I wanted to stay in and watch all the great shows that were on on NBC, actually. So, yeah. but uh, yeah. So so anyway, 1991. This was when Twin Peaks finished its run was on uh, on a Thursday night, which you have to wonder if they had been on Thursday night, if this would have been an issue, if they would have been losing viewers. I mean, I I, I still look at the quality of the episodes that we're dealing with right now, and uh, and that we have been dealing with. I mean this this episode. I I have to say I felt it was a bit of a low point. Um, yeah, I disagreed a little bit. I thought there were some okay points. To me, the low point is still quite a ways behind us. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it's still not. 
it's lost a lot. Still. It has. It is. It has a few of those moments where you're so like, I'm not, wow, I'm not, this is not the same show. I'm not entirely convinced that moving the the no. series back, you know, no. around the time of Laura's killer's reveal, moving it to a Thursday night slot would have probably not, you know, curbed the drop in ratings yeah. that it went through. But, I mean, it's, you can't, nothing no, we can do about yeah, it. We exactly. can't tell. Unless even you come up with that time machine that we talked about. Yeah, we're not going to. Okay. I will use that for other purposes. <laughs> sorry. That's um, all right. So, uh, and then, well, oh, no, sorry. I just, I just want to say, um, uh, it, it's ostensibly set on March 21st, 1989. Um, and we know this from a few clues in the episode, but some things in this episode suggest that a longer period of time has elapsed since the last episode. since the last episode such as and well the the opening scene which we'll talk about um but i and i just wanted to bring this up just in general so we can kind of float it over the whole um the rest of this episode that we're going to talk about it um i don't know how much of this is because they maybe they spliced in some interesting edits to make it to, to allow us to remember because six weeks had passed since it aired yeah so maybe they were trying to pack more in or, or or treat it in a way that we would understand that because a lot of time had passed, but not a lot of time had passed on the show, but it feels like a lot of time had... Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I do, and I don't know how much... Yeah, I, I, I think this episode, episode was... obviously, couldn't, they couldn't do that because they filmed them before... Yeah, and I think they must have already been finished editing and waiting to be aired, I think so, right? Yeah. So, so it's probably not, but anyway, it was just something that I thought about. Let's dive in with the log lady. Uh, well, first, the German... Oh, yes. Uh, it's Wunden und Narben. Wunden and what? Und Narben. Und Narben? Yeah, apparently scars are narbs. So uh, there you <laughs> have it. Interesting. Uh, I don't have the translate thing up, so sorry. No, just you wait. Just, get just mine. wait. No, no, no. Aw, oh, damn you it. You suck at this. Hold on. No, you hold on. Wunden und Narben. Narben. Wunden und Narben. Wunden und Narben. Anyway. Okay, so I was close. You were close. I was close. I get partial points for that one. Um... Log lady? Log lady. Uh, she's talking about things that are changing. That's just the first line. Yeah, that's, that's not at all what she's talking well, about. kind of it is. What she's talking about is being good to our fellow humans. <laughs> yes. Being, being uh, I think, uh, coming to terms with how we treat one another. Yeah. And, and our, how our conscience reacts when we treat someone badly. Yes. And it seems like a warning from her. Like, I, I get the feeling that mm-hmm. this would be, she's talking from personal experience someone that she wronged in some way or hurt and didn't tell them right away um and now she can't and she regrets it so it's like a it's like a a, a, a warning i yeah. guess or a cautionary tale yes right Which i don't know what, what that would are. be but yeah. well no i think it's her and her husband potentially maybe possibly they had a fight the night what does this relate to in in the story the uh, only thing that came up for me was uh was cooper and truman yeah and they're I guess, in a way, Annie and Norma are dealing with um, hurts from their past. I don't think it's hurts that they've inflicted on each other. You, you don't get enough no, of their story to sense, know. Yeah. But they talk about their mother being a source of conflict, which yes. we already know. We She's know, a piece yes. of work. But, um, uh, you know, Ed and Nadine are dealing with hurts as well. But it's kind of yeah. low down on their list of priorities i guess yeah no one's really striving to make anything right except for cooper and well i I guess i guess ben horn is the one who is is his conscience is weighing heavily on him and he's he's looking for a change um so maybe that's another instance 
but in in his case, it's not against another person, but against I guess humanity or or the yeah, environment and, as a well, whole. And himself, even yeah, you know, he's really trying to reclaim his. And he his does soul. have uh, an interesting moment with Catherine later on, where mm. he t- kind of takes on the role of the log lady in this cautionary tale vein, yeah. where he kind of gives her a warning. Oh, it's, it's straight out of Christmas Carol. Like it's he is the ghost of Christmas future, whose yeah, whose soul warning, has come back. Yeah, yeah, warning Catherine yeah. that you know. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. there. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, so that's, moving on. that's that. <laughs> yeah, so there was the recap, uh, which they yes. included in the, the Blu-ray that we did Yes, watch. I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't recall that being on the, the gold box set DVDs, yeah. but maybe it was, and I just haven't watched them in so long. But it's it was included only in the, um, the U.S. airing, just because of this six-week gap. Um, and it's just a recap, basically. It is. It is, it is confusing because uh, the night that... The date that Cooper gives... In his re- yes. recount for Diane is, I, I believe it's March 28th, yeah. which was the night that it was airing. It was airing. Yeah, it, it was March 28th. Yeah. So he's giving the date that the episode is airing as opposed to the date when the events, when the events which are, are happening. Which are very close together by this point. Sure, yeah, exactly. Still not, yeah. Um, yeah, if, if the episode does take place on March 21st, which um, in the timeline that I have that was written up in, in about 1992 or 93, this is when they were... This yeah, was the date that they yeah, were given. it makes sense. It does, just in the context of the episode. Yeah. But um, either way, it it might confuse some viewers who watched it thinking that this episode takes place, you know, a week after the events of the last episode. But it didn't. No. And it literally just served the purpose of catching viewers up who yeah. had been away for, well, the show had been away. They'd been there, but yeah. six weeks had passed. And, and it, it did have one interesting thing of note, which is that Cooper uh, described his own experience yeah. up to this point as as uh it had a sense of serenity and potential for happiness yeah he says he's content yes and, and yet I thought, really really because he's playing a deadly game of cat and mouse with windham earl and it goes right into windham earl and yeah, describing exactly. what he's doing but cooper's described as you know fairly, he says he's really content. content and this is it's interesting because this is obviously written um, just for this episode, so yeah, in almost, that six week interregnum, that's when they that's when they wrote it. So yeah. they were cognizant of where the story was going, yeah. and they knew what was what was coming, and they still chose to write him as feeling content. So we talked about in a previous in, in several previous episodes how um, Cooper was kind of taking a a stance of like I, a hands off approach to things, or he's like, there's certain things I can't help. They're just going to happen as they happen, yeah. and uh, and that seemed to be his philosophy for a while. Is that maybe is this an offshoot of that that he's content because he's let go of his, you know, yeah. willingness or his need to control the outcome of the events that he's yeah could be embroiled in, or is it foreshadowing? Yeah, I, that's what it felt like to me watching it. Yeah, uh, was that this is not his actual current state, especially this episode. He's not really that content. He's trying to do still quite a bit. He's yeah. very concerned about the game and Truman and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I felt it as more of a, mm-hmm. a foreshadowing. It was almost like the writers knew that he was going to be pushed into a state of contentedness. Uh, so they well, just put it, it in there. I, I, I question this just because it's it's a sticking point for a lot of viewers that um, that Cooper seems to have lost his gift mm. by this episode. And and he gets distracted by by things All that things, yeah. yeah, by a lot of things, by womanly things yeah. that come into his life and and kind of take his mind off of where it should be, which is on Windham Earl. Yeah. And um 
and I think Windermere uses that to his advantage as much as possible. Even oh, yeah. in this episode, we see that. Yeah. Um, whether he's conscious of it or not, yeah. he's definitely taking advantage of Cooper's distraction. Yeah. Um, if you're distracted, if your your mind is wandering, maybe you are going to be feeling more content than if you're, you know, focused in on, like, yeah. Pete on the chess game, yes, exactly. right? Who's definitely not content. No. Uh, yeah, so it was just... It was an interesting thing to just mention in, in the context of, of the story and where we're going. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's noteworthy. Yeah. yeah. We both looked at each other. Yeah, we were both like, really? What? Okay. Uh, so yeah, the first scene, it is, it starts with a shot of, of a spinning glass. Yes. Um, and it's Truman, uh, drunk out of his Drunk gourd. out of his gourd. On, uh, uh, with very sad eyes. Jack Daniels? Um, he's yeah, drinking whiskey. Yeah, it looks like something like that. Um, and he's remembering Josie. And yeah, so there's this nice little... series of flashbacks, yeah. Yeah, montage of, of Josie. We'll just call it the montage of Josie yeah. trademark. It, it, I, trademark. I found it was interesting that he's spinning the glass because it's right. like he's rotating through the memories of Josie. Yeah. And, it, and it's a circle. It's never-ending. It's just mm-hmm. he's he's falling into that pit of uh, an endless Well, and circles obviously being uh, a, an image that is used a lot in Twin Peaks, the rotating yeah, oh, fan. Of course, yes, yes. Not, not in this episode, though, so much. Well, just here. Beyond this, yeah. Although, perhaps with uh, Major Briggs's tattoo, there's it's kind of implied circle. But anyways, yeah. we'll get there. Um, and yeah, and the other thing about the Josie memories, they're mostly sexual. Yeah, well, that's mostly their relationship, mostly, though, isn't exactly, it? Right? They yeah. didn't go on a lot of dates to the Bijou, and no. they didn't have a lot of, you know, picnics by the lake. You know, no. they were they were meeting in secret. They were it was a it was an assignation. It was less a relationship and more an affair. You exactly. know, that was conducted in secret, um, which maybe contributes to 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 Truman's uh, upset over all of this is that this relationship well, that's, was that's the thing to me. It it really deadens that sense of any actual sorrow because she was just kind of a sex object to him like you never i never got the sense watching it that i mean he said he loved her and he was obviously very upset um but they never you know they never had any stimulating conversations they never they never engaged on any level that would that would lead to an actual he does he does say later on the reason why he was so attracted to her and i think he was i think there was there was a sense of him being in love with the idea of josie as opposed to being in love with josie as a person it's josie as an object yeah it's josie as the exotic oriental woman who he wants to have really like she's kind of a possession yeah Mm -hmm. um he's always upset not with any of the bad things she's done, but when she leaves, well, like yeah, she, and she, she goes to Seattle and she with cousin Jonathan, yes. and she's like, "I'm leaving forever." That's when he's upset. When she dies, he's upset. But all the terrible things she does. Well, he's in, between, in denial about all of that, and I think that's yeah. that's the state that I I never okay. So so confession, I never really felt sorry for Truman at all when when I watched this. I feel yeah. like it's kind of um, like. It, it, the first scene is fine. Like he yeah. he's he's approached by Hawk. Hawk comes in and brings him um, uh, breakfast, breakfast from yeah. the double R yeah. that Norma has sent over for yeah. him. And uh, and normally this would be something that I think Truman would jump all over, right? Because I, I, a it's food, and I think food we've talked about this is plays an important role in Twin Peaks as as something that indicates. Um, well, it's not just something that you that you you don't just consume food because you need to. You consume food because it's part of that desire, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and Cooper refu or sorry Truman refuses the food. He doesn't want to eat 
he has no desire, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, his desire is dead. His yeah. desire has left him. His the only thing he has, you, well, yeah. yeah, but but I think it's just it's just metaphorically it fits yeah. in, right? I know, and I'm saying it also fits in with the assessment of Josie is really right. a, yes, just an external right. object yeah. of affection of yeah. his. She was not a person to whom he could actually emotionally engage in mm-hmm. any way. It wasn't an actual relationship in that sense. Right now, it. You know, he's a stoic lawman. Sure. So how how capable is he of anything exactly. beyond that? Who knows? Maybe to him, sex is all there is to love. Right. right? And, and I mean, Josie didn't exactly seem like the no. bright conversationalist that, no. you know, she wouldn't be able to hold Cooper's attention. No. Right? No. Um, but maybe that's all they needed. Maybe that's all they wanted from each other. Yeah. It's it certainly, um, the last episode called into question a lot of Josie's motives, too, yeah. in, in loving Truman. So their, their relationship at this point feels more like one of convenience and one of it was a short-lived affair that ended tragically absolutely but um it never really feels like this grief is earned no and and i feel like uh truman here is really kind of shoehorned into this this role they kind of wanted to take truman out of the picture a little bit maybe and i mean obviously we knew he loved her Mm -hmm. um but his reaction yeah it does seem it doesn't seem earned. It seems over the top. Yeah. Um, not so much in the, again, yeah, you're right. This scene, totally unexpected. He's drinking himself. Yeah, happy, and he has you know. a, it's a little bit of a light moment where he kind of chuckles with Hawk about, about Norma. Norma and it's, and, yeah. and it's, it's going to be drawn in sharp contrast to Cooper's arrival, which we'll talk about when we get there. But, um, but yeah, this, this initial scene does feel like, okay, it's the night after your, your paramour has died, literally died in your arms from some unexplained cause. Um, You're going to be drinking. Yeah, like like he's been up all night. He's at the book house. I don't know if you mentioned that, but I think he's at the book house. There's books behind him, so I'm assuming it's the book house. Um, It's kind of where he stays for the whole episode. So, Um, But yeah, it's it's kind of the start of uh, the the whole... His storyline in this episode is just everybody's worried about him. And that's the role that he occupies, which is not such a bad thing because Truman has been the one doing all the worrying and... He's kind of the leader of the town yeah. in, in a lot of senses now that, you know, yeah. Leland's gone and um, Ben was never really much yeah. of a leader. Yeah. Uh, he and Major Briggs are really the only ones who have, have in terms of, of like the whole archetypal patriarchal yes, yes. town society. Yeah, they have a moral clarity to them that yeah. the, the other characters often so, lack. Yeah. So he's he's been shaken to his core and... Uh, yeah, and he also kind of... He's taking a break. Yeah, exactly. It kind of brushes off... The interesting thing for me is at the end when he brushes off his need to be a sheriff. You yes. know, he's just kind of... Yeah, Cooper, you and Cooper can handle yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You guys, there's not... It's pretty simple town, I think he says. Yeah, and, and, and I'm like, whoa, holy crap. Like, there's a guy, like, well, on the loose and, and, and you're... And Truman says as much. He says, well, the world's kind of finally caught up to us. Like, Twin Peaks was special. But it, isn't it was that, separate from the world. Wouldn't that be a time when you'd n- well, exa- want to be exactly. there? But he's saying, you know, he's he's playing both sides right he's, sure he's trying to say but it does well, it does make you wonder um he's not the same kind of lawman that cooper is right he's cooper will will approach any kind of situation he takes over basically takes over for sheriff truman he we later see him in sheriff's sheriff truman's office yeah. um in a in, i guess in a deleted scene from this episode he was supposed to have been wearing deputy like the, oh, like the, the whole uniform yeah thing. so i mean uh which i don't think that would have worked but no. either way um so 
Cooper, when faced with adversity, seems to step to the plate. Truman seems to back away. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to deal with this. Is is that part of it too, right? That he's stepping back. He just he can't deal. Maybe it's just that he can't deal with Josie's death and Windermerle and, you know, whatever lost cats Andy has to find. Like, maybe this is, this yeah. is he just can't deal with both of those. Yeah. Or is it a sign that, all he ever he never had any aspirations of being more than a small town sheriff. Yeah. Now that the town has gotten bigger, bigger, he's yeah. he's unable to deal with yeah. it. Which I mean, kind of holds up in future episodes. Mm-hmm. But it really, it, Cooper really does lead the investigation and everything to do with Earl in the right. in the future episodes. Truman's just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. So. Whereas before he had some agency, he seemed to well, and and Cooper did defer to him. Yeah, on a lot, on of, a lot issues, of local right? matters. Yeah. So yeah, but. so that's true. Okay, so we move on from the book house yes. to the double R. To the double R. And we get uh, the first entrance introduction to yes. Annie, who we heard in the last episode was coming in on the next bus. Um, this is why we suspect this episode did does take place the next day. Yeah. Because Annie, Norma said, Norma much, said yeah. she, was, she would see her tomorrow, and, yeah. and here she is. So she's showing up for her, I guess, first day of work. She wants yeah. to be put to work um, right away. Yeah. And, she uh, yeah. And it's kind of an interesting introduction to the character. Uh, it is. Because right now we've only heard Norma say that brief, very brief conversation she had with Shelley where she mentioned that uh, Annie always seemed like she was from another place and another time. And then you really do get that sense from the conversation that, that Norma and Annie have in this episode, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So her introduction here, though, is is very, I don't know, it's, it's almost pointed to a to an extent they're really kind of establishing the characters yeah. basics like she was in a convent she forgot how to use money because mm-hmm. of that um it's really kind of setting her apart even more as this outsider yes um who again can't tell if she's from twin peaks it's not really clear where norma's yeah, from because okay so like as outsiders we've seen outsiders in the show Cooper notably being yeah, an outsider who becomes an insider. Um, but then, you know, uh, the John Justice Wheeler, the French-Canadian drug dealers. Everybody, yeah. Um, RCMP. The RCMP. <laughs> um, Wyndham Earl. Like, these are people who are established as outsiders right away in a different vein than Annie is because ostensibly Annie is returning is returning to Twin yeah. Peaks but she still has to be introduced to Shelley yes which we've talked about where does Shelley come yeah. from so maybe yeah. that's just the reason Fair, why yeah. but you know and it comes up in future episodes where other characters don't really seem to know who Annie is either or, yeah. or know much about her yeah. or anything and it's it's really abetted by I don't know if you noticed this but the music that she walks into right. is the the dream dance music yes she is literally just like the man from another place right uh, she's annie from another she's place. annie from another place In another as time. Norma described and here she is being the audience is being force-fed that idea that yeah. Annie's not not from not here. from here um and it's where is she from it's an interesting musical cue because yeah where is she from mm-hmm. the only other place we've heard that music so far they've used it again later in this episode but i don't well it's linked with scene. cooper yes it is and, and it's linked with his dreams yes um, and Annie is definitely in Cooper's dreams yeah. uh, by the end of this yeah. episode. Uh, but yeah, it, it does kind of beg that question of where is Annie from? Yeah. That this is this is her music. Exactly. And um, and and in the context of future episodes, which we'll get into, it does it it is a very um, she's she's 
She's not an interesting character. I'm not going to say that because, and I I feel a lot of it is just the, there wasn't a lot of material given to her. And I don't think that Heather Graham, who plays Annie, was necessarily up to the task of delivering even the poor dialogue in in a way that... Well, I I don't know if she's really the problem. I feel like they put her in there. Absolutely. You know, without much to work with. Yeah. This is what you kind of got. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, let's face it, she shoehorned in as a love interest for uh, Agent Cooper. And that's her entirety role. Yeah, exactly. They they somehow made her the 18-year-old sister of... Norma. Of a thirty-eight-year-old woman, or, or how old, we don't really know how old. Didn't they Annie say is. this? Oh yeah, we don't know how old Annie is. Yeah. But. Well, we know Norma is is. It's been twenty years since they were in high school, so yeah. she's no older than thirty-eight, yeah. right? Um. But but yeah, we don't know how old Annie is, but she looks so young. Yes. She really does look young, yes. and it's it's hard to imagine her being, you know, ten years younger than Norma. She's yeah. she's got to be. Like, like I, yeah. yeah so like so she's still she's still a, a a fairly young woman, um, and yeah, she's been in a convent for we don't know how many years. There's just so many unknowns that yes. are that are that are leveled at this character and and kind of surrounding this character that that, and the, that they're never really either explained or used for any yeah. really great purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. she has. Uh, as we see in a later scene, uh, she has a she has a sordid history, yeah. and that's why she went into the convent. Right. Um, and Cooper gets a hint of that, but that's it. Yeah. It you know really beyond that, she never uses that. Mm-hmm. Like she, it's not an actual part of her character that would cause her to actually do something or say something or. Aside be something. from what. But from being a pushed love her in, for well, Cooper. well, and, and what pushed her into the convent initially? Yeah, is, but that, yeah, that's what I'm saying is like yeah. that beyond that. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just a further backstory for the convent plot, which is yeah, really unnecessary for yeah. Cooper as a love interest. The other thing that's interesting is that um, the, most of the character introductions that we've had so far have been tremendous, right? Mm-hmm. When you have when you think back to the pilot and how every one of these Everybody. characters is established so clearly with very little dialogue or with um, sound or music cues or uh, body Physical language. Movement, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you, you contrast it to this where it's all exposition. Mm-hmm. It's literally Norma and Annie sitting on stools at the counter talking about their mother and there's a few instances of, of like the pause in the sentence says yeah. more that, than words could, but that's as close as you get yeah. to any kind of non-expository um, yeah, dialogue exposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's very... exposition at, at work, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. And that was really frustrating for me because as a storyteller, you try and show yeah. rather than tell. And yeah. here it's just total tell. Yeah. And, and it just felt lazy. I, I really do feel like this was just a lazy introduction for yeah. this character. That it could have yeah, been even, more. Even they the could have done so much more with this character. I feel exactly. like she could have been more. Yeah. For playing such an important role, you would have wanted her to yeah. be more. Yeah. And yeah, even the other characters that we kind of dislike, like, uh, what's his name? John Justice Wheeler? Yeah. I mean, even there, you get a creepy vibe, but you get a vibe. Yeah, yeah you know, a it's bit. it's it's something. Well, and that's from where I'm character. that's where I'm where I'm getting the sense that it might have been partly Heather Graham just being an inexperienced actress and not being able to to carry the role. I, I suppose, but I mean, really, those those lines. Yeah, the lines are pretty there. bad. I I have a note here that I sent. Um, Annie arrives, and so does a log lady and her log, and it's hard to tell 
which is which. Ouch. They're both so wooden. Both so wooden. Ba-dum-ts. Yeah, that's that's a little harsh. It's a little harsh, but, but it's true. And it leads into, well, it's true that the log lady shows up. That's my segue yes, yes. into the log lady arriving. Um, uh, and she, Major Briggs is there as well at the yeah, counter. And he and Shelly have a quick little weird exchange. Yeah. Um, because, What's that all about? Yeah, I don't know. Because he just, how does he describe the pie? It's stupendous or something. Something like that. Uh, and Shelly's just like, oh. Okay. This weird old man is talking to me. Like, you're in customer service. Of course, yeah. weird old men are talking. And it's funny because later on, she also has another conversation with a weird old man. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and, it's a, and it's a much nicer conversation. Well, on her end. On her end, yeah. On his right. end, it's, even, it's far more aggressive. Exactly. Stuff, well, yeah, so. but, but she reacts to him differently than she yes. does to Major Briggs. And, uh, so she drops off a bill for the, ma- the yes. major, and then yeah, the log lady watches it, walks in, and you want to touches, try that sentence again. Nope, the okay. log lady walks in and touches <laughs> his tattoo. Yes, um, and that's kind of the end of the scene. Yes, but it's like a a, a wordless exchange of yeah. like, and and I and I like that they're because they've had one scene prior to this together, right? Um, yeah, yeah, they, they, they haven't. They haven't. She introduces the log to him, yeah. right? Um, but they don't. They don't have a lot of uh, of scenes together, and whenever they do, it's a very charged moment, right? Mm. Like these are two mystical characters or uh, magical characters or something. Um, obviously, on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they still carry kind of a, a, a potency to them. And mm. when they're on the screen together, that's important, right? Yeah. So, so obviously, that's going to be important yeah, it comes, coming up, and it does, and it does. Uh, so yes. yeah, we go back to the sheriff station, and this is where we get Cooper in the uh, in Truman's office, yeah. uh, doing the requisite paperwork that must be filed after somebody dies on your you know and when you're about to take them into custody yeah, and two of them did, Eckhart. And, yes, definitely Eckhart and, and Josie. Josie yeah. Um, so he's going through Interpol files and learning everything that he can about Josie, which begs the question: How did he not know any of this beforehand? Like, why was well, why is this all information this. that only came out now? Well, we talked about this. And perhaps he does have the information already yeah. when he arrives even in Twin Peaks. Right, he right, asks, right. He asks Truman point yeah, blank, how much do you right. know about this girl? Yeah. And he's he, since then, he's kind of deferred to Truman yeah. on all matters related to Josie yeah. because he knows that Truman loved her so much. Right. Essentially. Quote, unquote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so perhaps Cooper's had this information about her... All along. Uh, all along, and he's just decided not to act on it out of respect for Truman. Uh, perhaps he was just watching her and kind of keeping track of her as a potential yeah. uh, suspect. I imagine some of it is, is related to Eckhart, too. Yes. Right? So, I mean, he would probably have an Interpol file. Yeah. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. Judging by the, the company he keeps. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but, yeah, there, it's... Anyway, this is... this is Cooper is, has kind of assumed the mantle of, of Truman, yeah. in, uh, of Sheriff, in all but name. Yeah. And he and Hawk have a little bit of an exchange where um, Cooper kind of says, maybe this should be you taking over. Like, yeah. you you know the town, you know. And Hawk's like, I don't do paperwork. And yeah. it's kind of a cute little yeah. character moment, I guess. Um, but then we get the, the exchange about um, the medical examiner's report on Josie. Yes. This is the autopsy on her. Doc Hayward said he couldn't determine cause of death. The body only weighed 65 pounds. How's that possible? I don't know. Maybe something to do with what I saw in the room when she died. Maybe we better just whistle on our way past the graveyard. Yeah. It, so that's, that's a, a pretty significant loss. Um, I always just assumed that this was 
something, some essence of Josie. Yeah, that, that her been, soul yeah, or something, something that had, had been, been siphoned away. Yeah, by Bob. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's what's trapped in the in the drawer pull or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there it's never alluded to again. I, no. I suspect that that would be something that they'd bring up if in a in a possible season three, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, but it's never mentioned again in this, in season two. So. No. So um, yeah, it's just it's another mystery. Yeah. At, at this point, is but Hawk does seem particularly disturbed by this. Yeah. And he he brings up uh, whistling on our way past the graveyard kind of thing, you know, just the superstitious aspect of of Hawk's personality kind of comes out again, yeah. and we see him uh, reacting that way, yeah. which. I mean, I guess if you were faced with mystery yeah, upon yeah, mystery upon exactly. mystery, Especially you would one like that where yeah. there's medical evidence that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. You'd be like, mm, okay, yeah, I'm just gonna you know stick to old traditions for now. Yeah, wear some case. garlic and yeah. you know just yeah. in case. Just in case, can't hurt. Uh, he also says that the trail on Winnemurl has gone cold. He's still waiting for um, the response to yesterday's move that yes. he put in the paper. Yes. Um, which we yeah we know is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Soon. Uh, speaking of which, yes. uh, going to Very Earl soon. in his yes in his uh, cabin. Yes, uh, it's it's an odd little scene. Mm-hmm. Leo's kind of playing housewife. Yeah, uh, dropping slippers and his slippers, a pipe, pipe, and a newspaper, which yes. is like a very Leave It to Beaver. Like this is June Cleaver, you know. Yeah. That's Leo. <laughs> yeah, and, and Earl's just you know. Which I on him for all this. I love that that Leo has been relegated to housewife. Yeah. Considering oh, how he yeah. treated Shelley. Yeah. No, I perfect. just love that this is where his character has gone with with this, you know, Leo who thought himself to be the alpha male. Yeah, Leo the lion. Yeah. Turned into is Leo now, the lioness. Yeah, not well, even. not even yeah. really. He's, yeah. he's, he's the pussycat. He's, yeah. he's, you know, Wyndham did purr to him yeah. a couple episodes yeah, exactly, ago. So, yeah. um, but, but Wyndham Earl is the, is is the alpha yeah. for all intents and purposes, which yeah. um, is a nice role reversal. Creepy, but still. Yeah. Um, and and Earl's doing this weird breathing thing while the whole thing is yeah. happening. It's like just these like these deep inhales. Well, he's like holding his nose and inhaling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's 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 another odd thing. I I kind of like this aspect of Earl. It feels a little less uh, dancing in his underpants and a little more like yeah. the Earl that we were described with the the mind, the is- mind of brilliant and cold as a diamond. diamond yeah this this feels like it's still hard. he's a little he's a little off he's he's not all sure, there she's sure. doing some weird stuff but but he's not pan yeah exactly he's not dancing yeah. around he still has his flute but he's not yeah wearing his underwear and and acting like a sprite in yeah. the woods yeah um he's far more dark and yeah sister. and in control yeah it's, yeah it's very controlled here whereas otherwise it just feels like he's off the he's way off the mark it feels yeah. a lot like uh the villain in Blue Velvet. Why can I not remember his name? Frank Booth. Frank Booth. Yeah. Where he's just unhinged and randomly violent and has a super short temper. Yeah. But, you know, he's still in control. Yeah. He, he did, He's violent when he chooses to be. Yeah. It's not just a random thing that pops into his brain and all of a sudden he's violent. He's, well, and Frank Booth never danced around in his underwear exactly, either. So exactly. That, that silliness is gone. Yes. And now we have this, yeah, the return or the... the it, it feels a lot more like the Wyndham world that we were introduced to, you know, four episodes ago or three episodes ago um, in the cabin when exactly. Leo first arrived, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and much more deserving of Cooper's warning about yes. him, right? Yes, definitely. Um, 
but anyway, he gets he gets Cooper's next move in the the Gazette. Yeah. Uh, is it the Gazette? I was gonna call it the Penny Saver. I'm like that shows up in another. <laughs> Norm was holding the Penny, the penny Saver, saver yeah. at, at another instance, but um, yeah, in, in the Twin Peaks newspaper, and he gets so angry because um, he he realizes that Cooper's playing a stalemate game, and he says, "This isn't a move. This is a trick. He's playing a stalemate game." Cooper doesn't know the meaning of stalemate. He's getting help. I cannot tolerate people who do not play by the rules. People who shirk the standards. Many people are going to regret this. And it's such a chilling response because remember in the last episode, Truman, um, Truman, Pete, and Cooper are all talking about how um, they have to, Wyndham Earl will play by the rules because he doesn't know how not to. And Truman's like, I've never known a man who would kill by the rules or, yeah. or whatever the quote is. Um, and here we have, in essence, this is this is kind of the, the reverse of that. This is... Um, Wyndham Earl reacting to somebody not Breaking playing rules. by the rules yeah. Yeah. Um, with extreme violence. And he lashes out at Leo, but yeah. but he also sets into motion, um, I guess, phase two of his plan, which plays out over the next, um, which, over the whole episode. Yeah, which is the abandonment of the the chess theme and plot in, right. in future episodes. As we talked about last episode yes. when we realized that eh, the chess, it's kind of played chess out. thing is not going to last forever. Yeah. So this is him kind of starting to move off of that. Yeah. Um, uh, the last shot of him here is his wedding ring. Yes. Well. Well. Yes. He's playing the flute. And and as he's playing it, the camera kind of closes in on on his wedding ring. Right. Uh, with Caroline. Well, just it, I just thought the symbolism, not the symbolism, but the the imagery of the ring was interesting because it's a it's a knot. Uh, it's like two lines wrapped up together. I thought it was three lines wrapped up together, okay. which I thought was which even makes more. more sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because it's him, Caroline, and and, and Cooper. Cooper. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of heading to this this knot point where, right. where Cooper and him are going to meet. Right. Uh, and it's yeah, I just thought it was a nice little image. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking the same thing, and I thought, oh no, I'm way off base here. But why else would they show his wedding ring? I think it. Well, yeah, no, it's, even it's if you obvious... don't, even if you don't notice that, or if that's the wrong reading entirely, that the design of the ring just happened to be. No, I don't think they would show it in detail. Well, though. I think they would show the ring just as a reminder that this is Winnemarle's motivation for going after Cooper to begin with. But Yeah, but why not include some imagery in it that connects the characters? Sure, right? absolutely. So I, I, I buy it. Yeah. But, um, but it, yes, anyway, then it... it um, so he's playing the flute and the screen kind of goes crossfades to um, Audrey, which I thought was an interesting yes. cut. Not necessarily... Because, I mean, I guess if you were watching this for the first time, um, you might be led to believe that Audrey is the... The queen. Or the, the, the his focus, yeah. Winnemarle's focus. Well, which is not an, an unreasonable expectation no, because, because she yeah, is... She is one of the three that yeah, he's contacted. Exactly. So far, and it's one of the three he meets again today. But it also sets into, into mind what will come in future episodes with regard to the Twin Peaks, Miss Twin Peaks pageant that, that is brought up in this episode. Yeah. 
Um, but we see Audrey uh, at the Great Northern modeling to some models how to model yes. clothes to for the fashion show. Yeah. 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 Um, which is what is taking up everybody's time at the Great Northern is yes. this... Uh, it's a fundraiser benefit yeah. of some sort, but it's it's got a fashion show component, and that's yeah. what they're prepping for here. And and it's all meant to save the pine weasel. Remember, yes. we talked about that last episode. Ben Horn, this is his this is, cause du jour. Yes. Um, he wants to save the pine weasel, and this is how he's going to do it. Yes. And so uh, Dick Tremaine makes his yes. return. Yes. Hasn't seen him in a little while. Uh, he walks in, and he, he hits on the models because, yeah, of, course of course, he does. Um, and then Audrey informs him about what's going to happen with the mm-hmm. show, how he's going to you know, run the show and how Mr. Pinkle yes. is going to uh, talk about the Pine Weasel yes. part of the show. Yes. Uh, and then Mr. Pinkle walks on and then him and Dick kind of wander off. Yeah. It, they're fun when they play together. And, and th- these are um, the the two actors also uh, yes, we're weren't in, on the air together. The air. And this is just a little, uh, like, uh, amuse-bouche of... Yeah, yeah. Of, a little sample of, of yeah, of what that you're show gonna see. That <laughs> they show, just <laughs> yeah, it has the two of them in there. They don't have many scenes necessarily. No, they yeah, they do. He's yeah. the director. Mr. Pinkle plays the director, mm-hmm. whose name we won't even try to pronounce. And uh, Bruce Buchanan, Ian Buchanan, Ian Buchanan, Ian Buchanan. Who's Bruce? Buchanan? I don't know. I made him up. Uh, Ian Buchanan plays uh, the lead in yeah. in the show that yeah. they they're filming in uh, in on the air in on the air. So. And it's just it's just fun to see them. Yeah, then they're, 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 yeah, they're, they're comic relief in this episode. Comic relief, yes. Um, uh, yeah, so then John Justice Wheeler appears. Yes. And what does he do? Well, they apologize for like five minutes. Yeah, Audrey really and John apologize. Both and then them. like, they talk over each other and it's very unnatural and it's just whatever. Yeah, it like, matter. it doesn't matter. Because it all, it's all leading up to um, John wants to ask her out on a date and he suggests they go on a picnic. And she has this ridiculous line like, I don't know how to cook. Because what do you need to, A, what do you need to cook for a picnic? Yeah. And B, what does that matter? Why, maybe John can cook. Yeah. Maybe you can just... Buy some sandwiches on the yeah, way Yeah, go, to, go order something from the double R. Like, I just, I have no patience for these two. Yeah, I, it's just ridiculous. Well, it just, and it feels really unnatural still, yeah. which is what we talked about yesterday, yeah. is that they don't really have... Yesterday, the last time. <laughs> the chemistry, yeah, sorry, uh, last week, I yeah. guess. Uh, they don't have that kind of chemistry. It doesn't, it's not yeah. immediately appealing. Uh, it feels very forced, like yeah. this is... They're playing to a type now. Yeah. Audrey is the was playing the hard to get, and now she's falling for him, and yeah. she, she's going to bubble, bubble. That's bubble? the word I just yeah. made up. Absolutely. Uh, she's going to bubble sense. all her words together yeah. and, and talk over him and be all flabbergasted. And he's going to be the stoic cowboy who yeah. strolls into town and, and sweeps her off her feet. Literally yeah. in this episode, yeah. and it's just very. It it feels like this like the main plot in, in a Danielle Steele novel. Yeah. Um, which just oh, has very little appeal. It's very in Twin Peaks-y. Well, it, it's it's soap opera-ish in a sense, but it's but just no, knowing yeah. where what the show is capable of doing, even within the soap opera type plots, like you think of Ed and Norma, yeah. and the pathos that comes through in their scenes, yeah. and you just get none of that here. Nothing. Which really, I mean, there's no drama yet in their their. They're just like they hate each other, and now they like each well, other. That's supposed and to be it's the been drama. Been 24 hours. Yeah. That was supposed to be the whole thing. I guess, the, I guess, you've yeah. just seen it, and it had no effect on anything. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they agree to go on this picnic, yeah, so that'll be... It's very reminiscent of James and Donna's picnic. Yeah. It's another scene that I wish kind of didn't I think exist. they use the same basket. Probably do. There's just one picnic basket yeah. in all of yeah, Twin yeah. Peaks. Everybody shares. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so then, before they before we go anywhere with that, uh, 
Pinkle walks in and yeah, uh, with he, Dick again. Yes, and Dick explains that because uh, Pinkle has a, a stuffed animal. It's the same. I think it, it's the exact same weasel that uh, Pete had when Josie and Jonathan were in that scene where they had the the weasel and the snake. Yes, and it looks like the exact same. Yeah, prop, I think they really but just use it's the prop uh, it's. Dick expounds on the appropriateness of using a stuffed animal to represent an endangered animal. This is just to show people what the pine weasel looks like. I understand the concept perfectly, Mr. Dick. Pinkle, the name is Pinkle. But what I'm trying to make clear is that using a stuffed animal to represent an endangered species at an ecological protest constitutes the supreme incongruity. Well, that's clear, Dick. And we should, we should also mention... Uh, Mr. Pinkle. Yeah. Uh, also played a previous character. And I don't it's know, the same character. It is the same character. It's Mr. Pinkle. Mr. Uh, Pinkle, the insurance guy. Is also Mr. Pinkle the 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 guy who's the knowledgeable gonna, zoologist. Uh, sure. Why not? Everything in Twin Peaks doubles, Aiden. <laughs> Fuck. The lobby of the Great Northern also doubles as the sta- setting stage for for the fashion show, and Mr. Pinkle doubles uh, as insurance agent and Pine Weasel go-to guy. Yeah. Okay. Haven't you picked... The show is called Twin Peaks, Aiden. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. Sure is. Anyways. Uh, we go back to the book house. Yes. And, and here we get... Visits. Yes. We get Cooper's visit, which is dramatically different from Hawk's visit. Um, now, I initially just brushed this off as Truman was just more drunk, or maybe he was less drunk and needed to get more drunk because he was, he was wearing off. Um, his good mood is gone anyway, yes. and he has no no patience for Cooper. Well, and Cooper, unlike Hawk, who's actually a supportive friend, who's just there delivering some food and saying, hey, feel Checking better, Checking up buddy. on him, yeah. Yeah, Cooper goes in there to, like, confront him about Josie. Yeah, with, like, yeah, here's her Interpol file. Yeah, she, she was, was a, a hooker. She was a hooker, yeah. <laughs> she was a hardened up. criminal. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it, it is a misstep. It yeah. is, right? Yeah, like, like, Cooper, like, for all his ability to read people... Here just he is again. Failed, totally miserably. failed it. Did not understand what Cooper, what Truman, what Truman needed, needed, which is you know some TLC. You know, yeah, he needs someone to you know cry on, not, not. Yeah, like this. I don't. I don't this. understand why this conversation had to happen. No, because we get another scene later on where Cooper does come in and, and does it, provide that exactly. support that Truman's actually looking for. So it feels like this is like I, if they were trying to ratchet up uh, Truman's emotional response, I guess, but. It didn't need to be. It just feels like um, they didn't grasp the the nature of Cooper's character at this yeah. point. Yeah. Which they have him doing really out of character things. Yeah, Truman feels in character. You know, he's he gets upset. Yeah, like he, he, someone's bad mouthing the woman yeah. he still loves. Yeah. and she just died. He's yeah, like be, twelve hours ago. Yeah, he's gonna be upset, and he mm-hmm. so he kicks Cooper out and he yells at him. Yeah, it's a you know the second time we've heard Truman yell. Yeah, after put it down. It's it's a little a little over the top. It is. Yeah, I, but. But at the same time, you know, he's pretty hammered. Sure. I guess I, I accepted it for this one uh, in the next scene where he also yells a lot. But Truman's, you know, a pretty quiet. Yeah. He, his strength is in his, his stoic, quiet, quietude, I guess. Yeah. Uh, not in screaming and no. shouting and stuff. So No, and it's not Michael Onkin's forte either. No, no. It doesn't feel, he feels like a gentle soul and, and this just doesn't feel, Yeah. And which it, maybe is, is what we're supposed to be reading yeah, from this, he's, that he's, he's no been pushed Truman, to this, yeah, yeah, yeah that we but, know and love. But it does, it feels odd. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's, that's the scene. Yeah, Truman orders Cooper to leave yeah. and it feels like this is this, this 
breakup of the bromance, yeah, right? Like it, yeah. it does feel like it's, it's, yeah, not, uh, not going to end well anyway for these two. Yeah. But we go to the Blue Pine at this point, and we meet a woman named Jones, who I don't think her name was mentioned no, before. I don't think the only so. other scene she was in was uh, they were yeah. speaking Afrikaans, so yeah. um, and there were no subtitles. It was, so it was when no Thomas Eckhart. Yeah, she's Thomas. Yeah. She's Thomas Eckhart's executive assistant, I think, is how she describes herself. And uh, attaché. <laughs> like she's uh, she's meeting with Catherine, and she comes in and she says that she wants to finalize the arrangements for Eckhart's body to be brought back to uh hong kong hong kong along with josie along with josie yes exactly and i all i wondered was like well i mean i okay why would you go to Catherine? that's that's not not Catherine's purview she's not gonna be able to oh yeah i'll just sign over his body to you and you can take him home yeah like no no, that's 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 not Catherine's job so obviously jones is there for another reason and Catherine figures out as much pulls out a gun and says what are you really here for exactly and uh jones says that she has a gift yes and after some you know Catherine's a little hesitant naturally but uh, eventually she pulls it out it's a black metal box or a wooden box or something something anyway. it's, it's, it's a, a shiny black box. black box it's a black box literally who knows what's inside yeah drops it off and says enjoy basically and then says she'll be leaving later tonight yeah she has some loose ends or something to tie, to tie up yes and uh, yeah. Um, yeah and she leaves this this gift from from Eckhart yes she says it's from Eckhart yeah to Catherine which um immediately would set if i were Catherine. yeah i'd burn the thing or yeah I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't i wouldn't want, want a gift from him he was the guy who tried to kill your brother and yeah i mean and he's, any, any sort of gift he left his assistant saying oh if i die make sure they yeah get this. exactly it's not a yeah, good thing no not gonna do it no but Catherine does seem intrigued by it yeah of course and yeah it's it um, this is going to be her mystery for the next six yeah. episodes so so that's where that that's where that ends up um Oh, we, yes, next we go to the yeah, Hayward House. Yeah, we go to the Hayward House. And uh, Donna, not in school, is uh, there to answer the door when Wyndham Earl yes. uh, knocks. And this is his first appearance with one of his queens. Yes, uh, in disguise. Uh, he pretends to be a Dr. Craig, a friend of her father's from medical school. And he completely fools Donna into believing that, that he is actually this Dr. Craig. He knows things about her and her sisters yeah. and compliments her beauty. and She offers him pop. Yeah. So, of course, she's won over because yeah. you only offer pop to your good friends. Well, yes, right? Um, the, and this is kind of interesting because the previous scene, actually, uh, Catherine... When, uh, what's her name again? Jones, Jones. walked in. Yeah. Uh, she said, oh, your door was unlocked. And Catherine yes. says, oh, well, small it's a, town yes. hospitality kind of thing. Right. And it's, it felt like that is being extended here, too. Exactly. It's, it's, this is something that would happen in a small town. Like, you're going to trust. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Face value. You are my, you say, you, you are who you say you are. Yes, you say I'm going to invite you in. Come I'm going right to offer in. you yeah. a pop. And we'll yeah. sit here and, and shoot the breeze. Yes. And which is what they do. And, yeah. And it's kind of an odd breeze because, uh, he kind of hits on her. Yeah, I feel like everyone's hitting on Donna. Yeah, uh, she's just lucky, I guess. I don't know, uh, but she kind of responds to it again. It's well, it's it's in the way that a that a seventeen or eighteen year old girl would respond to, to an older man an calling, older man her, calling pretty. her pretty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It would just be like you know, yeah. laughing and awkward, but you wouldn't say like shut the fuck up. Yeah, I would. Well, you're not. I've never been an 18 year old woman. No, exactly. So uh, it is creepy though, and and he is very flirtatious. Um, um, but then he also gives her some like life advice. Like, yeah, saying, exactly. Like, Enjoy the absurdity of high school like, yeah. while you can. And I, I feel like this is kind of like trying to re-impress uh, 
the feel of Twin Peaks the town as yeah. a character okay. onto Donna, saying like, oh, well, it's a small town. You have, to, you have to invite in strangers and offer them stuff and talk to them yeah. like they're old friends. And you have to enjoy the that high school that we've seen twice in uh-huh. the whole show. It's like it's trying to reinvent uh, or just, I guess, not re-impress it, but like to uh, recall it right. and, and refocus it for Interesting. Donna. Um, and it, it doesn't do anything. Like it's just kind of this thing, I, I guess, except for explaining away um, that Donna would let in a stranger, a stranger like this right. and and kind of play into his trap. Right. Um it really doesn't serve a purpose, but I felt like it was it was a bit of a, a hearkening back to the Twin Peaks that that David Lynch created in the pilot really right. of a small town with a, a high school and a, f- a friendly, you know, the friendly yeah, town everybody knows who, everybody mm-hmm. and everybody's upset when one of them dies, you know. Right. Uh I felt like it was trying to to bring that back a little bit. Which is um, interesting that they would put that in Wyndham Earl's mouth because he is this this ultimate other yeah. coming in like the the this. Well, but he, I think he's preying on it, right? Like he well, absolutely, that, I guess, yeah, okay, sure. Scene. Is and that then, he's gonna? And then what he leaves behind is a gift. Right. He says, Give this to your dad. Yeah. Um, promise me you're not gonna open yes, it. Yes, promise and, you're not gonna open it. Um, so secrets being brought back into yeah, into exactly, Donna's life, which yeah. she's successfully managed to stay away from for a whole episode. Yes. But. Um, High school is brought up a lot in this conversation, mm-hmm. and it and it does kind of call, recall the fact that she should be in school, but she's not. Yes. Um, and he, yeah, I, the life advice seems seems a little on the nose. It's it's the kind of advice that any older person would give a younger person, like enjoy this now while you have it. You'll miss it when it's not here. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like your point about the absurdity kind of embracing the absurdity, which which feels like a, a thing that we would tell people. You know, if you're just Watching starting out Twin on, Peaks, yeah, yeah, if you're just starting out with Twin Peaks, like, no, embrace the absurdity, yeah. um, which is interesting because in this episode there is no absurdity really, a few little yeah, a few hints of it, but nothing like that. we've seen in the past. No. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really just, I guess it's it's lending more weight and more substance to what is just a a, a scene that moves the plot along mm-hmm. because. Uh, as we'll see in an upcoming scene, the gift is what the it's the, the linchpin for this the whole plot going forward with the this episode, um, yeah. Well, on the, the chessboard and everything, yeah, right? The plot line, yeah. Um, which we see in the very next scene yep. with the uh, we go to the sheriff station and I think it is the sheriff station, yep. right? Where Pete is playing multiple games of chess, yeah. Um, trying to figure out the best way to stalemate the game by losing as few pawns or, or pieces, pieces in general as possible. As possible. And he tells Cooper that he can do it, and he he can save twelve pieces. He says, but well, he's still going to lose. Or he, yeah. yeah, he's going to be left with twelve pieces, but he's still going to lose some. There's yeah. no way. There's no way you can. Play he's gone cool over every. Yeah. yeah, he's gone over every possible game, and he's even he says he's he's jerry rigged some other maneuvers or something to. Yeah, he's, he's yeah he's done his own variations. On, yeah, on whatever and, they teach in the books, I think. And this is the best he can do. Yeah. And and then Cooper's like, "Well, do the best you can do." It's like, well, that's exactly what he's doing, yeah, Cooper. Yeah, like, yeah, just let him off. <laughs> but um. But it is, I, I think, it does underscore that Pete obviously knows the stakes of this game, which yeah. we questioned in the last episode whether or not, how much yeah. he knew, but he obviously knows enough to to be able to talk about this with with Cooper. But um, but yeah, this, this is the seriousness of what's happening, is that this is, there are going to be people who are going to, to die. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And, uh, and, but Cooper says that, you know, that that's... 
he doesn't address that specifically, but he says that Earl gets impatient. Right. So he's kind of hoping that that drives him um, away from actually playing the game. Well, Cooper still doesn't have Earl's next move, right? Yeah. So, um, so they're they're trying to play the game and based see where, on yeah, see where uh, Earl might go, and then right. Yeah, so, so they're 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 making decisions and trying to figure things out with not all of the the pieces necessarily of the puzzle so um and and we get the the contrast with andy and lucy playing a game as well which um is it's fun mostly because i miss andy and lucy they haven't been in in anything for the last little while um but it is kind of fun that that pete is teaching them how to play at the same time that he's engaged in this high level high stakes well, it's, it's a tiny general. bit of comic relief. It's like, it is, here's yeah. where Pete is. He's at the level of going beyond what the books have taught to right. his own mastery. And then, and then here's Andy who works. doesn't know how a knight works. Yeah, yeah which is and I it's love that little contrast. Lucy check, checks him as soon as exactly. he yeah, makes his yeah. move. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's cute. And then who enters? Oh, well, first of all, sorry. Before we go uh, to the major and the log lady, I mm-hmm. wanted to just... I love that Pete's kind of like crawling between the tables yeah. and like he's 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 at his wits end. He's yeah. he's really struggling and he's he's Frazzled playing all these games at once exactly. in his head. And I also love that Cooper kind of appears from under the the table when when he yes. when Pete's at a, at the thing. It's like they're both in this this muck of uh-huh. like it's almost like a World War One trench that they're kind of sure. crawling yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. making their way through. Uh, you know, in the trenches fighting Earl's chess game. Yeah, and yeah. I just thought that was a nice. Yeah, no, it's visual. it's a cute little visual. Yeah. Um, but yes, then uh, Major Briggs and Margaret uh, arrive, and they go to the conference room, and they talk about their tattoos. Yeah. Um, but this is not a show and tell, like, hey, look what I got tatted this weekend. No, this is this, this is discussion about alien abductions or something, or something. some kind some, of abduction. Some, yeah, some sort of not being on Earth anymore. Yes, um, which we knew that Major Briggs had had happen to him uh, well, back in it, yeah. episode 10 like of season two. Um where Cooper and Truman were in the woods and, or, sorry, Cooper and Briggs were in the woods and Briggs uh, disappeared in a flash of white light. Um, Margaret admits that when she was seven, the same thing happened to her. And she saw a white light and when she came back, she was told she was missing for a day and she had this tattoo in the back of her legs. So Which looks like two peaks. It Well, four peaks, really. Potentially, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's kind of two segments. There are two uh It's mirror images. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Cooper draws both the tattoos, and remember, Major Briggs's was three triangles, kind of arranged in in a, a yeah. circle form, kind yeah. of. It looks like the radioactive symbol. Basically. Yeah, right. And then, um, and then Margaret's beside his, which is these these uh, mirror image peaks. Um, and and the, she she actually Margaret lays it out that they all experienced the light and an owl. Yes, they the all sound of, a, of an owl. Yeah. Yes, um, and. Uh, the only other time she heard and saw that was right before her husband died. Right. Fire. And then she kind of cradles her log a bit, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think this is, um, it's definitely reminded, it definitely did remind me of um, Josie in the Wood from the previous episode. Yeah. That, and I I always wondered, because the, the, the common um, accepted... Uh, fan theory? Quote, unquote. Yeah, fan theory or, or whatever, is that, Margaret's husband is in her log. Yeah. And 
it's never said in in the no. show. Like that's no. She doesn't come out and say, "This is my my log. My husband is. You know, this is my husband." And she, that's not what happens. It's just the log, yeah. But I think after seeing what happened to Josie, it's not a stretch to assume that this is yeah. where. So I'm I'm guessing this is where the fan theory gets its legs. Yes. Unless there's some deleted scene or earlier version of the script that. Point somewhere says it, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But this makes it feel like it. But yeah, that's where I'm thinking it comes from. So, and that's it. They kind of like they're 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 really trying to connect, but they don't know what they're looking for. Yeah. So they, again, we haven't heard from the lodges in quite a while. Right. Um, it is where this plotline goes, and it it gets interesting. Quickly. In the next episode or um, two, but yeah, because but does, again, it's like playing chess without knowing. Th- what the next what yes, the other player's exactly. next move is you're trying to figure things out what the rules are at yeah this point. right they're really like more they're, andy than they are exactly at this yeah point. like where do they go what do they do how yeah. do they how do they respond to this yeah, they are just, just these are just pieces out in the ether right now exactly they, they so they're no collecting they're collecting all of the pieces of the puzzle but they have no idea how they fit together yet yeah. they don't even know what the picture is supposed to look like yeah. so um so that's where we get uh with these this storyline at yeah. this point um, we jump to John Justice Wheeler singing to Audrey on the picnic. <laughs> Aiden just rolled his eyes. You can't hear that old eye roll, but it was thick and heavy because my note is JJW, because that's yeah. what I call him, is singing and Audrey wants to blow him. Because that's Aww. it. That's the whole scene. It's just like... Why do you have to be so crass? Because that's... Oh, it's just so... I don't think that's scene, what she wants at all. She wants, to be, she wants to be serenaded. She says so herself yeah, that abs- she has never absolutely. been serenaded. She has never been serenaded. And... The 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 implication is that this is what she needed all along was this kind of romance, right? And it's just you know, I, well, I can not... get really crass if you want, but I won't. <laughs> uh, Please don't, because it's not that bad. It's bad. It feels bad. It feels like like this is an Audrey who was attracted to a man of action, who, you know. Yeah. Was was solving a murder mystery. Yeah, the mystery was what was she what wanted she wanted Agent Cooper to sweep her off on to a life of international intrigue. Yes. And now she's settling down with a guy who Who's a cowboy can, yeah, who can sing. lasso cattle and, and sing about the lonesome prairie, prairie. Which is not not the same. I mean they're both no. they're both outside of Twin Peaks. Yes. I will again like I mentioned this in the last episode, I think. Yeah. That uh, John Justice Wheeler does feel like he's from outside Twin Peaks. Of course. And that holds some that's appeal what, for Yeah, Audrey. he's worldly in a sense that Audrey just doesn't get from the men or yeah. boys in town. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I will grant that, but he's not the same kind of man as no. Agent Cooper in any way, and yet she's fallen for him even quicker yeah. in some ways than... Well, yeah. I mean, than, she started off very wary of him. Yeah. But attracted to him because he kind of, like, he has the same bearing, I guess, as, as Cooper. Dark hair, dark eyes. Like, I could see she has a type, maybe, but physical yeah, type, anyway. Yeah, I guess, but, but But definitely not emotionally. There's no, there or, or uh, spiritually or anything, there's no connection. There's no real no. link. No. I, I yeah, I... I I feel like it's it's it, again it's just been shoehorned in yes. just John for Justice the sake Wheeler of and Annie should really get together. Yeah, everybody I, would be happier if they just got married happy. and left town yeah. together. So now, please go. Let's lobby for <laughs> season three. <laughs> Hashtag Billy Zane season, season three and uh, Heather Graham. Heather Graham, perfect couple actually. Yeah, that'd be anyway. Uh, so yeah, and but it is it does it does. I mean, not that we needed this underscored because it was done much with much more subtlety in in earlier episodes but it reinforces that audrey is this 
poor little rich girl, but not in an ironic, like, you know, fake sympathy kind of way. Yeah. Like, she actually has been ignored for her life, for most of her life, yeah. and no boys have ever sung to her. And she did have a boy in her life or, or something, but not anymore. And, I mean, it... it it's like Norman and Annie talking at the beginning. It's it's all of this stuff being said instead mm. of how it was expertly shown in all the years. early scene where where Cooper is is reading Audrey's handwriting and guesses all this stuff yeah. about her. Like that that said so much more about her character than these throwaway lines did. Yeah. It just it, it, yeah, it's totally unnecessary. Yeah. And then she feeds him an apple. Yeah, she literally holds the apple out for him and he eats it. I'm like, this for apples are not a romantic fruit that you would want. Like, I don't know. Grapes, cherries. Grapes, yes. Okay. You feed those to your lover. Yes. An apple, like, here, honey. You feed apples to your horse. <laughs> That's what you... Anyway. Uh, okay. We go back I'll to the that. Hayward's house yeah. and uh, Donna gives Doc the gift. She's sipping She explains Coke there's, a, there's a visit. There's yeah. There's a visit and Doc says, oh no, well, Craig was my roommate and he drowned. I was, I was there. there. I tried to died. save his yeah. life. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, Eileen Hayward calls the number that Dr. Craig left and it yeah, goes to a we, cemetery. That, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He left a card and um, yeah, it's a cemetery. And the gift is actually Wyndham Earl's next move, which is, it's a... It's a night piece. It was a night piece and the next move was night to... King Bishop King's three. Bishop three. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Hayward, Doc Hayward is like, well, I, I gotta get this to Cooper. And, and Donna looks sufficiently perturbed that she... I mean, I, I I think this is the nice contrast with the last scene that she was in where, you know, it is this reinforcement of the small, homey uh, country town. Mm-hmm. And here that is all being shattered. That the small, homey country town that you let everybody in and you offer them a pop can, can actually lead to real danger. And this is like the first time, after everything Donna's been through, yeah. this is like yeah, the first like, time that she realizes. Oh my God, small towns are actually dangerous infestation of evil well and it's like, it's <laughs> i live in twin peaks and i just figured that but like, it's it is it is kind of like you know the what jean renault told cooper and what josie what, seemed to hint about cooper it's what that the what big city is. well no but the big city has come to twin peaks okay, and now yes. these people are starting to realize that 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 things are not not just the owls but everything is not what it seems yeah. and 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 this is this is the first time that donna has been in danger in her own home. Although it is the place where Bob uh, confronted Maddie after the the Just singing. You yeah. <laughs> you're not going to sing? No. I'm not singing. <laughs> I thought you were going to. You I'm not like serenading you. I'm not John Justice Wheeler. Sorry. <laughs> Good. I'm not Audrey. So there you go. Um, so, I mean, it's not that, that the Hayward home is immune to this kind of thing. It's just that Donna doesn't hasn't felt fear in her home yet. And it's it's an invasion of her space, her safe space, I guess, to coin or to use that term. Yeah. Um, that is mirrored in another episode in a much lower stakes kind of way or in a future scene, I mean. So, um, but anyway, we'll get there. In the scene right after the next one, which is uh, Ed and Nadine having their major final breakup, as Nadine (laughs) calls it. Yeah. And and this scene is, it's odd. It's because Dr. Jacoby's there. Why? I don't know. But Dr. Jacoby is there. And basically Ed's trying to explain to Nadine, like, no, if we break up, it's going to be a divorce because we're married. But But he doesn't say that. 
No, well, I mean, I, at some point, don't they say a divorce? I think I think uh, Jacoby and Ed say that to each other, but I don't think yes, no. because Nadine doesn't understand that they're married. No, no, right? And that's, and that's the thing. This scene makes no sense because there's no way any judge would ever grant a divorce no, to a woman who doesn't understand they're married in the first exactly. place. Exactly, like so, an annulment at that point. I, I really don't know how that would work, but, but yeah, but it would not be discussed between the couple and their and the ther- quack therapist yeah, who, who's not even a therapist. Well, he's not doing a very good like, job. Like he's. No. Yeah, I, I just think that this is a an appalling uh, treatment of Nadine yeah. as someone who is suffering from a major break with reality. Yeah, this is not the kind of divorce is not the kind of thing you talk about when somebody is not capable of consenting to this kind exactly. of exactly. And and Jacoby's explanation of uh, he basically says that she'll start to see reality again when her mind feels safe. Right. I think is, is his so place. yeah, cast her Aside. her safe place was Ed. Yeah. So cast so her away yeah. completely to have that, so that when she wakes up from this state she's in, she's, she has nothing. She has no marriage. She's with a high school student, uh, you know. Just, and it's like yeah. in this scene, it's the first time that she recognizes that she's blind in one eye. Well, yeah, because it's this, and it's played for really good comedy. Actually, it is done beautifully. Like I, I don't know why I never noticed this before, but cause she's in the background and Jacoby and Ed are having a conversation in the, in kind of the foreground and, yeah. and she winks at Ed and then her eyes, like she just, it's all in her yeah, face. She doesn't have face, yeah. a word for about another 30 seconds. Yeah. And then she's like, I think I've gone oh, blind oh, in my yeah, left just... eye. And it's like, it's like, she's just realizing this now. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, holy crap. Well, not only that, but like, I mean, she looks in the mirror all the time. Well, she was yeah. looking at her shoes. So in she's the completely like, out of it. Like, she's not someone you can divorce at this point. Ethically, in time. it's yeah. totally wrong. Nobody. I'm saying legally, I don't know yeah. how well, that yes, would happen. Exactly. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, I guess he could do some sort of no fault thing or something. I don't know how the, what the law is like in, in Washington State, but yeah it's, yeah, it's not something that, that feels good. And Jacoby there just doesn't help. Well, no, and it, and again, it just feels like they're taking advantage of the fact that so Ed wants to be with Norma, and this Nadine, thirty eight, thinking she's eighteen, you know, this yeah. Nadine wants, wants to, to be, be with, with Mike. Mike. Yeah. So hey, you know, everybody's gonna be happy. So let's rumble, right? Like this is gonna be what we do. But why not just do it then? Why does this scene have to happen at all? Like it's well, happening anyways. Because right. you're trying to address the the issue of I guess yeah married. they they want they wanted to maybe give a nod to the fact that at some point Nadine is going to have to consent to a divorce and she doesn't know that she's married it's it's just awkward and I mean yeah cruel and it is all unethical those things. I just possibly I, yeah, illegal I just yeah if they tried to go through with it I, I yeah yeah I have nothing to say on this scene whatsoever. So let's go to the to back to the Hayward's house, yes. and we we get the second intrusion into Donna's safe space, which mm-hmm. is um, she's sitting on the stairs where she was sitting previously in uh, uh, the first episode, where she yes, hears her mother, her, uh, her mom and dad talking about the necklace that yeah. James has, or it was the second episode, I yeah. guess. Um, and she's spying on her mother answering the door. Uh, and Ben Horn is there, and there's a tender moment that she witnesses between yeah, Ben and Eileen. Ben is whispering into Eileen's yeah, ear, holding her hand, and it's a very intimate scene. Yes. Um, there's, I mean, just by looking at the body language, it's hard to misconstrue it as anything other than these two are, are more than friends. More than there's friends. something going on there, and yeah. so, um, so I think it's just on a on a lesser scale, it's, uh, it's kind of yeah, it's it's something not good invading 
Donna's home. Yeah. Which is her theme. Because pretty much up until up until yeah. this point, all of the bad things have been happening to people Outside around her. Yeah. But it's not to her. It's not to her yeah. her nuclear family unit. It's not within her home. I mean, it has been in her home, as we said, with Maddie and Bob. But but she, she didn't was see it. That, she, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, so yeah. she's very much aware of two times in one day something bad happening within the walls. It's like it's like the moment when a child becomes an adult and they realize that their parents have done bad things yeah. or you know bad things happen in the world and yeah. and it's like this awakening, right? It's just funny that Donna has seen so much yes. bad shit happen and it takes you know Windham really get her yeah. and Ben Horn yeah to to kind of awaken her to to this issue but um so yes back at the double r uh we get norma suggesting that shelly should enter the miss twin peaks pageant and there's an adorable little yeah. tableau i guess this this uh, mime or not mime uh um like mimicry of, yeah of yeah a, a speech at a beauty pageant. <laughs> and Eugene Nimick does a great job of, yeah. of playing the judge and, and the the contestant, the contestant yeah. in in a mock pageant fashion yeah. which uh yeah, it's just it is. great. Yeah. This. Miss Twin Peaks. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. There's a cash prize and a scholarship. And I bet you could walk out of there. I don't think so. It's easy. You give a speech, you answer a few questions. Miss Double R Diner, what would you do to bring about world peace? Well... I would bring all the world leaders together, make them form a circle and join hands. Because you can't make a fist holding hands. You're a shoo I have an order off. You know, pushes her on by saying, well, there's a cash prize and yeah. scholarship. You yeah, know, yeah. Just trying to sweeten the pot for her. Yeah. Um, and then this is when Shelly walks over to yes. Earl, who yes. is her customer there. Yeah, dressed um, as a biker this time, a big yeah. fat biker. I will say, um, I guess Kenneth Walsh said that uh, he was basically given free reign oh, to, to design. Costumes? Yeah, oh, okay. the, they were like, "Who do you want to be?" And he's like, "A fat biker, <laughs> a doctor, whatever." Like yeah. he, they just he just went wild. Yeah, so this yeah. this biker, I totally could see that. It's just like, oh yeah, just going through the costume department. Yeah, like, yeah. let's put on the handlebar mustache Sash. and a bandana and Hell's Angel patch and or whatever. But. I I really dislike this about Earl that he's always playing dress up. Sure, I, I feel like it really cheapens his his mind of a diamond type uh, villain appeal. I feel like, you know, he could have all sorts of other ways to interact with these women. And But I think this is part of, part of what links Wyndham Earl and to, uh, in a weird way to Bob that they yeah, like they to can, play. They can take over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they can take over other personalities yeah. in a sense, yeah. but also that, that this is a challenge for them. Like I'm going to go out into the world and it's not a great disguise. No. But it works on Cooper because well, Cooper ends up coming in and sitting like basically we'll, we'll, we'll across get, the bar we'll from get, him. We'll, we'll get there. It's, it happens right okay, now. Okay, sure. So, so Cooper walks in with a Tibet <laughs> book and he, and, he, and he can't spot Earl. Exactly. He's, he's yeah, like you and said, think, he's lost that intuition. And it's, I think, okay, so this is, this is the, the two things that, yes, Cooper has no ability to intuit that Wyndham Earl is sitting basically eye to eye to him. Yeah. And two, that Wyndham Earl is liking the challenge of being out in the world or it's probably not even a challenge at this point anymore he's just enjoying seeing how far he can push this so and three uh-huh. who walks in to distract cooper but Annie. Annie. and this is interesting i noticed that the black lodge music is playing yes which um 
I, I think it was kind of a holdover, but it, it links Wyndham, Annie, and Cooper, Cooper in, this, this, in yeah. a way that Wyndham, Caroline, and Annie, and yes. sorry, and Cooper, Wyndham, Caroline, and Cooper were linked as well. Yeah. Um, so here's this, this, for lack of a better word, this menage a trois, I guess, um, that is already being set up. And the link with the music is, is yeah, chilling. Yeah, pretty telling, yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah, so I'm, and so yeah, Annie walks in and, uh, first of all, for, sorry, let's jump back a quick second. Yeah. Earl is telling Shelly, oh yeah, I yeah. think you should do this. I think you're really pretty. And yeah, again, he does the same thing that he did with Donna, just, yeah. you know, telling her how pretty she is. Yeah. And, and she's like, oh, well, I don't think of myself as very pretty. Yeah. And it's, it's. Like, yeah, and he gives, yeah, some bullshit. And yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so Cooper walks in and. Uh, and he offers he, him a cup of coffee. Yeah, and he just goes, he goes gaga right from the yeah. very beginning. He's like, oh, and he's making up excuses to keep her there, saying, wait, wait. Drinks yeah. the coffee and tells her how great it is. Yeah. All this kind of stuff. Um, and it's it's pretty, again, it's very, it feels very hollow. I mean, Cooper's doing his dang best. Kyle MacLachlan is doing a very good job uh, of trying to reclaim this material that mm-hmm. has him just, you know, you know, Cooper fawning over a woman. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. Mm-mm. And Annie's honestly... Not fawn-worthy? No. It really, <laughs> I mean, she's she's very... She's very bland. She's very bland she's and She's like very, oatmeal. She's just... Yes. It's like, it's the kind of thing that you can... I think this is why people like her, in a sense, is that she's... She's a bit of a Mary Sue. Yeah. She can, she can be, be anybody. Yeah, she can take on whatever personality or lack of personality or whatever you want to put on her, you can put on her. Yeah. And and people can imagine themselves with her or imagine them being her. She's just very easy to to Yeah. Unlike a character like Nadine or, yeah, or Audrey, Audrey yeah, or who have very distinct personalities and are not flexible in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Annie feels like she's just she's so malleable yeah exactly she has no defining characteristics well and that's that's she comes from another time another place she doesn't even seem to have corporeal form like she's just this gaseous state yeah Yeah, like she she just kind of appears as soon as like the the camera's kind of hinting that oh my god cooper yeah earl's right there yeah and then who comes in to distract distract him is is annie she just appears out of nowhere shelly's also working there but no it's annie who has to step in and and stop that and i Um, i i We'll get to some of the theories that yeah, no, have about yeah, this, that, but we're not, we're keeping it spoiler free. Yeah. So that's, um, but yeah, and so Cooper does spot the scar marks on her wrist. Yes. So hints of a yeah, dark, troubled of, past, yes, and yes. he tried to commit suicide. suicide or something. Something. Um, not sure on the timelines or any of that, but he, it's, he doesn't do anything to his mm-hmm. credit. You know, he's, it's just information. Well, he packs what would away. he say? Well, I don't know. He's hey, nice pretty, scars? No, I mean, he's pretty, not confrontational, but he always, he has that way of being charming uh, while asking very personal information. So, Ed, how long have you and Norman been together sure. right after five seconds? Yeah. And he doesn't bring that up with Well, and it's it's Annie. a gallantry thing, I think. You know, when you're two boys, you know, bookhouse boys in the booth are going to yeah, talk differently okay, than no, but him he does with... It with. He does it with Audrey. Like, Audrey, how old are you? I guess. Can you tell me about your handwriting? Yeah. Like, all this stuff. He's when he's pretty, investigating. Okay, maybe but, there's nothing to investigate. Maybe um, maybe that's maybe that's the thing is that Cooper not only has lost his intuition, but he's lost his investigation yeah, spirit. Yeah, that, that's an issue for Cooper. It is an issue for him. Yeah. So. Um, and then he finally does look over 
Earl's when gone. Earl is gone, but he gets it's almost like he gets a, like a, a it's like an spidey after, sense, you yeah, know, yeah, or yeah, there's what were you going to say? An after effect, effect or something. yeah, like a, like an aftershock. It's like yeah. he's left and there's a ripple now, and it's finally hitting Cooper. And he's like, wait, yeah. there was something there that. But I it's to know. it feels like it feels like earlier in the scene he was picking up on something. Yes, and Annie. That's when Annie appeared. Yeah. So it really does seem like Annie is a major source of distraction for him, and you have to wonder how intentional it is yeah that's all i'm gonna yeah, say that's all we're gonna say we'll come back to that later. um so we'll hawk comes in hawk comes in and tells oh, yes. him that there There's is trouble at the book house yeah. and they go to the book house and truman has completely trashed the place so cooper assumes the role of uh he's gonna fix it now he's gonna fix everything that he presumably this is truman lashing out because cooper didn't keep his mouth shut so now cooper has to clean up the mess so Cooper or Truman's waving his gun around and and Cooper's like give me your gun and Truman's like I've never handed over my gun and they have this little this moment where it's it's hinted at that or I mean it's Truman comes right out and says it that he had aspirations beyond Twin Peaks yeah. I get the sense he wanted to travel. Yes. He had things he wanted to do in his life. Yeah. Never got to go to China. Yes. Never China came to, to him yes. though, yeah. which is what Josie represents and this is where I think he liked the idea of Josie. She yeah. represented that that outside yeah. thing that he can't get in Twin Peaks. This cloistered town that that has very little contact, it feels, with the outside world. But Josie came to him, and that was his taste of the Orient. That was his yeah. taste of the exotic. That was his taste of not, not Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, so losing that meant that he lost... It feels like he lost his... Uh, he lost something bigger than just yeah. a girlfriend. Yeah. And and I think this is, I mean, I wanted Cooper to say, you know, I've been there. Like, I lost someone who I yeah, cared about, too. Yeah. Because this is something that, that they now have in common. Yeah. They both loved someone who died yeah. in their arms. Yeah. But I don't know if that's to Cooper's credit that he doesn't make it about himself or if it's... I think it's just, yeah... But either way, it ends with with a hug. Yeah. And, and Truman Hawk says, and... like, there's a lot he doesn't understand about everything. Right. I feel. Um, yeah. And Hawk, so Hawk and Cooper uh, put him to bed. Oh, is that in this yes. scene? Okay, yeah. yes. And yeah. they... Uh, they, uh, they praise they, him. Yeah. They praise him so effusively that <laughs> Truman gathers his wits enough to tell them not to stop (laughs) he just wants them to keep going (laughs) which is really sweet it is um so yeah uh we jump to the hotel and this is where the balance of the rest of the the episode takes place at the hotel we start off with um mike and nadine showing up as uh out of towners from montana i think they're from or idaho or something uh the hinkman's and uh, they're trying to rent a room. And I think this was just really cute because I can remember being, you yeah, know, 18, yeah, 18 or whatever like, and thinking, uh, oh, can I rent a hotel room yeah, without like, putting on yeah. this air of I have to be an adult, well, yeah, you know? Because Nadine is married already. It's, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a list of affair. And, okay, this is the absurdity yeah. that, that Wyndham Roll was hinting at earlier. Yeah. This is embrace it. Just embrace the absurdity sure. of this dressed up, gussied up couple. And Mike is wearing a ter- terrible disguise. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, one of his, his uh, classmates, yeah, classmates from, walks in and is like, hey, Mike, yeah. see you at school. And he's like, oh, yeah. And then Nadine just breaks the, yeah, the ringer, the bell. Uh, the bell, and just. So it's like they're not fooling anyone. Uh, 
and, and it's that's just, why I have to wonder why this exists. Yeah, I mean, it was it's just, just like I mean, continue their story and sure it is something Mike may want. They both want to go to sure go to and as and 18 it's but, sure it's cute, but it yeah. and, and and to have this book ending. Well, coming after a very traumatic scene with Cooper and Truman in the bookhouse and then having this scene and another quite silly scene with the fashion show that happens next um, is is unnecessary. Like it it does feel like it's just an excuse to have, you know, a funny scene that is. Yeah. Not needed. Yeah. Uh, Same with. Well, I mean, the fashion show happens and I do like that it does illuminate a little bit more of Ben's motivations. Um so he's putting on this this benefit to save the pine weasel and um and he gives his little speech and and it sounds very earnest and it sounds very forthright well, it's, it's about survival it is you know? yeah he's talking about how ecology is all about um survival and whether or not we're all going to make it right you know and that's I feel like it's it's a very like 1990 1991 thing. I mean, this was around. Yeah. I was part of this. I, I, I you know, I was six years old at the time, but I knew that the rainforests were being yeah, depleted. Yeah, exactly. A football field of the day. <laughs> yeah. Right? That was so I mean, I was terrified that we were going to yeah. lose all of our forests. I mean, this was this was heavy, you know, environmentalist rhetoric that was being used at the time. When I had a T-shirt that showed the hole in the ozone layer, yeah. like that was a big deal yeah. as a as a kid hearing that. You know, this was this was what was all over the place. So it's it's fitting that this would be the tone that he would set um, this kind of environmental activism thing that he's embraced over the last 24 or 48 hours. But, but it's expanding it beyond just the pine weasel. Right? Yes, he's exactly. Saying that it's, this it's, is going to affect all of us. If the yes. pine weasel goes, you and I might be next, yes, right? Yes, exactly. And it's, so it's part of a broader plan. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, yeah. But what's more interesting is that Catherine doesn't buy it. Well, that's, that's later on. Okay. Wait, do you want to jump there? Though? I did kind okay, of, yeah. just because... Yep. Um, it's it's interesting to me because I don't buy it. I don't buy that this is a, that this is a sincere yeah. transformation. Huh. I see the way Ben Horn was glad handing Eileen Hayward in the door um, just a couple of minutes earlier in in the timeline of the show, yeah. and I think he hasn't changed all that much. He's still dealing in subterfuge. He's still there's an angle. He's playing an angle, and I don't feel that he is yes. as upfront about this. He's laying it on pretty thick with Catherine. And well, he yeah. he does, like we said in the beginning in the Log Lady intro, um, he's, he's, he's... He's basically, yeah, he's trying to moralize her into yes. changing her ways. Exactly. Um, and yeah, he, especially talking to Catherine, who yeah. owns the mill and the Ghostwood project that yes. he lost. You and know, if his plan to, succeeds, she won't be able to do her, her business. He's been... They've been business foes, really, yeah. for the whole series. So... You know, yeah, the fact that he's going after her with yeah, this yeah. seems like, yeah, maybe he's just still trying to play her. And that's why I'm, I'm thinking, do you buy it? I do, in only because I know what's coming in later episodes. Oh. I think, uh, but at this point, absolutely, it's still up in the air. It's yeah. like, is he really? I can't tell. It, mm-hmm. it could be all, you know, he talks about the transformative power of his uh, Civil War story. Right, and basically, and yes. How he woke up and he was a changed person yes. afterwards. Um, but is that real? Was it was it a change just for the smarter? Like, yeah. is he come out of this and he's now a, a general of business as well, and sure. he's going to be able to outmaneuver Catherine on that battlefield? Yeah, potentially. Maybe that's that's where it's kind of heading. Yeah. Um. And yeah, you can't really tell what it feels like, but I do like his speech. I feel like sure it does 
yeah. Well, it feels me, like a very Ben Horn speech. It does. It's but, not but written it also, very well. Like I don't no, feel, feel no, like it, the dialogue is up to as, par. No, no. With some but, of his other. But he does. He plays it very sincerely. Oh, of course. Um, and he, to me, I believed him when he was saying it. It's only because of all the other things I know about a character that I still doubt his sincerity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I really felt like it was. It was like so, I said, a Christmas so, Carol, because it's. It's very much like I am. I have seen the error in my ways, yes. and I have been illuminated by a higher power. And now I'm here to tell you, I'm Charles Dickens in this case. Yeah. I'm here to tell you that you too can be saved if only you yeah. you give up greed and, and uh, injustice. So you said you bought his story. I, no, I bought his performance of this speech, saying that he seemed so genuine in this. Yeah. And uh, but. You know, Ben's just a shifty guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has been the okay. whole series, so maybe I don't believe him in the long run. Okay. I thought it was very... Sorry, I was just confused. I no, yeah, to... I believe him, but I don't. It's um, true. <laughs> so, this, this kind of happens um, throughout the scene, this this plotline. The, the other part of the scene is this fashion show that's, that's taking place. So, we have Dick Tremaine kind of as the host... And Audrey kind of the stage managing backstage, getting everybody into their costumes. We have Andy and Lucy wearing their, uh, their lots grunge. of plaid. Oh, man. <laughs> it's not really grunge. It's like... It's like, yeah. No, it's like preppy grunge. Like, yeah, That's kind I of guess. the best way of describing uh, it. Very 90s. Yeah. But, um, and, and the various other uh, models and whatnot that we see coming out modeling... I'm I'm assuming it's from Horn's department store. That's why yeah, uh, Dick is involved. Sense, right? yeah. um, and it all climaxes with uh, Mr. Pinkle coming out with a pine weasel that he shows to the audience. Nice. And while he's giving his little speech about how they're very harmless and they're curious and they like shiny buttons and cheap cologne, <laughs> while the well, pine yeah. weasel is all sniffing up Dick's cheap cologne, yeah. um, it's it's leading up to a kind of a absurd slash gag. hilarious no, slash not, no not hilarious did you laugh at this the first time i watched it okay i can't remember the first time i will admit i <laughs> do not remember the first time the time i watched it this time it was just so painful to watch it was so unfunny everything okay explain what happens okay so uh well it doesn't start with just the the uh pine weasel going nuts which is what does happen but it's it's the whole back and forth between dick and uh, mr pinkle is very wooden uh it's it felt like a terrible stage performance where nobody is is with the joke no one's following the joke nobody like likes the civil it. war plot line like no, like was... jerry horn trying to deliver his lines and calling him sire instead of sir no no no, no. i i mean like and it's it's shown in the episode like they're having a little thing and and a little back and forth and the audience there is just stone-faced yeah, and yeah, quiet yeah. yeah and it feels like that was actually supposed to be the joke was mm. that the audience is not laughing, so you should mm, laugh at okay. how bad they're doing at trying to uh, be funny. Yeah. And then it goes off into this tangent of the pine weasel attacks Dick's nose, even though it is ostensibly not a violent creature, so right. why is it doing that? It's not explained. Uh, it just jumps up, bites him, and then it scampers loose, and everybody's running around and, and going nuts. That None of that was funny to me. Uh, it wasn't led up to very well. It wasn't performed very well. It wasn't yeah. filmed very well. None of it, yeah, was just, it, it was it was uninteresting, it was unfunny, and it served almost no purpose whatsoever, except for to have all these characters running around. And then Audrey falls falling off into stage John Justice Wheeler's arms. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it I mean it yeah. Nope, there's nothing more to add. Because <laughs> and all I was gonna say is that uh 
she falls into his arms and he's talking about excitement. That's my note. <laughs> right. Because, you know. Well, he says that the, the, the people of the town maybe could use some excitement. And, um, which is kind of a condescending thing to say. Well, and they even just if had a couple true, murders. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're right. That's true. Like, like this, this town has been through the ringer. Like, they just, maybe they just wanted to spend, you know, yeah. 60 or 70 or $100 a plate on yeah. dinner and a fashion and show. save the pine weasel. Like, yeah, you know, uh, I mean, they all came out in support of an environmental cause. We don't need to down talk to them. It was... Uh, this is one of this is the lowest point for this of this episode for me is this whole scene i almost want to say that it's one of the lowest it's it's if we hadn't seen evelyn marsh yes the evelyn marsh plotline this would be the lowest point in the entire show maybe andy and the devil uh, well that that one brief scene yeah but this is really just unnecessary it does not feel i mean we've we've said in the past that a lot of these scenes don't feel like Twin Peaks, but this really doesn't feel like yeah, Twin Peaks. Yeah, this feels like a terrible sitcom yeah. on ABC. Especially also even the Thursday way that it's filmed, like, like the, yeah. the from the point of view of the weasel. Yeah, running around and scaring things. It's like, Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's oh. just... Yeah, it's not... I mean, maybe you can draw some kind of parallel about... We've, we've talked about man versus nature, and maybe this is... Oh, yeah, no. The, you know, the natural the world things is... are there. Sure. I it's, mean, the natural the, world the is, is trying to to uh, assert control in the, the man-made world, even though we're in a room full of wood no. that's on, no. perched on no, the edge of a waterfall. Allow, I can't allow that. You're not going to analyze it? Continue. No, because it's not going anywhere. It is just a terrible scene. And I have to say, uh, spoiler alert... Miss Twin Peaks reminds me of this to a T. Oh, yeah. It is, no, it is right. done much better, but it is still a completely extraneous yeah. thing about, you know, having women walk down a runway and do stupid things in yeah. the, instead of a pine weasel it's a song and dance. But I, I dislike all of these elements of season two. Uh, and yeah, this one is definitely a low point for me. Thankfully, the episode is nearly over and we have one more ridiculous scene left. Yeah. We, we go back to the bookhouse and... Uh, Jones arrives. What's her? Is her name just Jones? Yeah. Is it Mrs. Jones? Ms. I, Jones? I have no is idea. Maybe her first name, name is Jones, maybe? Jones Jonesy? Uh, who knows? Jones Sparrow. What? I don't know. I'm picking out names now. Why? I don't know. It's a terrible name. Her name is Jones. Okay, so Jones walks in. Yes. Knocks out a bookhouse boy. Yeah. Gets naked. Well, close to naked. She, <laughs> she, I always thought that she was wearing one of Josie's negligees. Yeah, but she's way taller than Josie. She, she is. But, but it yeah. looks like something that Josie would wear. Yeah. And it looks very similar to the one that Truman ripped in uh, yes, that yes. episode no, where, it definitely, where Josie yeah. came back. It's yeah. it's it's harkening back that, to yeah. uh, the Josie that we know. And and she lets down those uh, Hershey's Harris heiress. Yeah, we should locks. mention that this is the same actress, Brenda Strong, who plays the oh Henry Can- Candy Bar heiress. Yes, yes. Who doesn't wear a bra? Yes. On Seinfeld. On Seinfeld. And Among other who, other yes other roles, shows, but for me but yes, that that she, is, she will always be in my heart for that because yeah. it is such a ridiculous character. It's very Seinfeld. But um, in this episode, yeah, in this scene. She just climbs into bed with a very drunk, passed out Truman. Sheriff Truman. And, that's and the screen fades to black. It's a very strange... It is a weird way to end the yes, episode. Yes, especially coming off of a... I mean, it's it's ominous. I'll give you that. But it's it's a very strange way to end the episode. Absolutely. Yes. And here's the thing. Uh, I was wrong. I thought that... Uh, 
Earl had uh, his uh, meeting with Audrey as well because he meets the he other does. two girls. But I thought it was in this episode, and it's not. So he um, me- he he yes he but, met he meets with John and Shelley here, but Audrey is I believe in the next episode. Yes, but I thought it would have been good to have like if you want to end the the episode on an sure. ominous note, have Earl Monroe, walk in there yeah. and backstage while things are going crazy. He, talk to Audrey, yeah, about it or whatever. And, yeah, like there's much. Well, see, this is this. why you know six-year-old Aiden should have been talking to you know director Barry Pullman or writer Barry Pullman through his brother yeah through Bill Pullman (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny to me but I'll watch they are brothers probably that would be hilarious we'll we'll find out if we find out that there's any relation we'll put it in 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 the the notes in the notes yeah but anyway that's 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 this episode of Twin Peaks yeah and yeah I didn't like it I, I, I liked like it, it more when we were watching it, but only because I'd forgotten most of these yeah. things. So watching it again, I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah this happens. happens. We did have to pause it a lot because you were like, there's a lot happening. I have to write it down. Yeah. I have to write At down my thoughts. At the start of yeah, the episode, sure. yeah. there was a good amount of momentum there. But, yeah. Uh, it does peter it, out quite yeah, a bit. And, yeah. and especially just with this ending with the, the weird fashion show thing that just, yeah, it did not need to happen. It, it came in this episode. It left in this episode. Yeah. The Pine Weasel continues, but... Not for much longer. Mm-mm. And, yeah, it's just an odd... It's an odd episode. Yeah. Not one of the best. Uh, no, I would say it's one of my least favorite. But there there are there are good things coming. It does set in motion quite a few. We keep saying that. When is the good stuff going to come? The good stuff is coming. Trust us. And that last episode makes up for everything. Well, nearly everything. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or a comment. We'd love to hear from you.